and you can, uh, all the scripture references are in the app. As you can see, I did it a little different this month. I just made June sermons and they all kind of show up there in the month. Uh, just, they have some, uh, every now and then they have, they put out these video tutorials on ways to help use your app the best. And I saw that and so I said, well, we'll try that, right? So that's why it looks a little different this past month than it did before. Second Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 18 are what we're going to be reading this morning. But let me just preface everything with this. I had two other messages completely done. I mean, outlines complete, all in my note thing and just kind of ready to go. I just, all I had to do was pray to the Lord, which one of these do you want, Lord? Now, I always have several in the works anyway, but I had two completely done. Lord, which one do you want me to do? And man, the Lord knows what I needed yesterday. And the Lord touched me. And you know what he said about them two outlines? I don't want either one of them. So I don't know if you've ever done an outline before for any kind of thing you do, but it's not the quickest thing in the world to do, right? And take some thought process. And the Lord blessed me with some things that, uh, some tools that I already had because of some articles I had read in the past. So I was able to look them up and kind of go back to the drawing board because God wanted me to share some of what I learned yesterday uh, and how that applies uh, to us, but also to understand suffering as it all kind of goes together. And I'll explain that in, in just a few minutes. All right. So let's read the scripture together and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. It says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it, is all, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, and our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are unseen are, are, seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we just thank you for this day, and we ask you, Lord, to please, Lord, use us in a way that pleases you. Uh, Father, we pray that it will be your words and not ours. Father, we pray for your strength. Lord, we also pray, Lord, for your wisdom uh, this morning. Uh, Lord, that you would just calm our hearts, and Lord, you would speak to us. And Father, we pray, Lord, that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, that before this day is over, before this message is over, Lord, not for our glory, but for yours, that they'll see, Lord, their need for you. And Lord, accept what you did on the cross for them. And Lord, and live with confidence in you. Lord, we love you and we pray this in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. One of the resources that I used for this is, um, was a devotion that was written by John Piper. How many of you guys have ever heard of John Piper before? Right? Um, if you're the kind of person that likes uh, like devotionals and blogs and stuff like that to kind of help you, Desiring God is an amazing resource, right? Desiring God, that's the name of it. Uh, matter of fact, I think desiringgod.org or whatever is the website, but you can sign up and receive messages from them. And John Piper is a wonderful, beautiful Bible teacher. Uh, he's great. He does not pull any punches. Um, I will say this is that he is... Uh, a staunch Calvinist, uh, very staunch, uh, but at the same time, he's got very, very sound uh, doctor, and so um, he's a beautiful resource. This is what he said when it comes to suffering. We seldom know the micro reasons for our sufferings, 
In other words, seldom do we know the exact reason that we're experiencing whatever it is that we're experiencing. I may be going through something, but, and I may never know on this side of glory, I may never know exactly why. Now, if you read the book of Job, you will see the book of Job that we are enlightened by the narrative found in the book of Job. But in the book of Job, if you read it, he never knows the exact reason that he went through what he went through either. But it, John Piper says this, we may seldom know the micro reasons for our sufferings, but the Bible does give us faith sustaining macro reasons. Micro is specific Macro is overall, overarching, if you will. And so we do know through the scriptures, and by the way, I'm going to give you five. That's why in the bulletin you get five, uh, five numbers there, or, you know, one through five. But this, this list is not exhaustive and complete. I'm just going to give you five categories, if you will. And even then, you could break these down, and you could argue a lot of other scriptures to go along with this. Um, but the, the intent this morning is not to to get specific in specific details, but it's to, to understand the overarching understanding of suffering and some of the reasons that suffering exists and how God uses it, I should say. Now, I think it's important that we understand how suffering began. You see, I, I was, matter of fact, uh, Kevin and I had a great conversation this week and I kind of mentioned some of this and it's kind of interesting that I was studying some of this not knowing what was going to happen yesterday not knowing what I was going to listen to and what was going to touch my heart yesterday. Um, there was some amazing testimonies yesterday of what God had done in the hearts of folks that who were headlong. I'm talking headlong into drug abuse uh, to the point of prison time. They literally spent time in prison. What was really hard to grasp was the fact that a heroin addict goes to prison and continues heroin abuse. That just blew my mind. I didn't think you were allowed to have that stuff. I mean, I don't think you can carry it in. Yeah, my uncle Bubba's in here and uh, I got a bag of some stuff for him. Can you just pass it along? I don't, but that shows you how crooked the system can be is that the heroin abuse didn't stop when she went to prison. And I, she, by the way, let me share this with you too. I was sharing this with Chris this morning. Another thing that kind of blew my mind, and I'm probably going to skip around a little bit, and I apologize. Just stay with me. I'll hopefully put it all together. She said this. She felt the Lord drawing her into being um, an emergency medical technician, EMT. But I had a record, and I spent 14 months in prison. And people kept telling me, there's no way anybody will ever let you do that because of your prison record. She said, but that just shows what little bit they know and how big God is. She goes, because not only did I become a certified EMT, I ran as a volunteer, then I was hired part-time, and now, uh, since November, she is a full-time EMT in Berkeley County. So God can do great things, right? Amen. You can clap. You can tell God you like it, right? Um, but this is what she said. She goes, I can't tell you how many people and how many calls I've run for ODs of people that I know people that I used to run with. And she said, sometimes I see things on social media or I even hear other EMTs talking and they forget because of how I look now, they forget that I was once that. And they say things about like Narcan. 
They just keep doing it because they know we're going to spend more money on Narcan. You know how much this stuff you know, does? That's why they just keep doing it because they know we're going to revive them and all this stuff. She says, let me tell you something. I over OD twice. And not once did I ever stick that needle in my arm thinking, well, if I screw up, they're going to hit me with Narcan and life's going to be great. She goes, honestly, the only thing I was worried about was getting high. And I left, if I left this world on a high, that was the easiest way to go to me. And my life was so messed up that there was many times that I put the needle in my arm and hoped that I did not wake up. She goes, so don't think people's out here doing this, putting this stuff in their arm, thinking that I can live on easy street because they're going to save me with Narcan. She goes, that is absolutely nonsense. And they don't think that at all. They are so hopeless that that's all they care about. She goes, she goes, unless you've experienced it, you don't understand it. She goes, you know what I found out when I got clean? She goes, when I finally got clean, I had to make a conscious decision that I was going to be clean. And she said, from then on, I spent the last year uh, of my sentence uh, pretty much to myself and just a few select people because I wanted to shield myself from all the other stuff and stay clean and work on my relationship with God so that when I got out, you know, she goes, but getting out scared me to death because I knew I was going to go back around the people that I was around before, and I did not want to do that. And so when she got out, she actually received an offer from a clinic that she had been at before, a place that she had been to get clean. And they, they made her extended an offer for her to come back and go through the program this time with a different mindset in which she did. She ended up in Arizona. Now she's married, got three wonderful kids, plus the girl she had when she got pregnant when she was 16. And she's telling us, you know, all of this and just really give us some insight. She said, but let me tell you what's on the mind of, of someone who's connected to drugs. You're either thinking about getting high, driving to go get to stuff to get high, making phone calls to find the stuff so you can get high, or worried about being sick if you can't get high. She goes, you know what I didn't know? I didn't know how to be an adult. She goes, if you would have told me when I was a drug abuser talking about like car payments and stuff, she goes, what do normal people do? I don't know what they do all day with their time because my time's consumed about getting high. I didn't know that you actually went to work and worked a job to pay a house payment. She goes, I, she goes this is the first house payment I've ever had in my life now with my husband and my three kids. And she goes, it's, it's just been unreal to know that you actually have a normal life. I didn't know what normal was. And so it was very, very enlightening. And in this process, and I know what you're thinking is, what does that really have to do with suffering and all of this? Well, they also brought in a doctor yesterday who, um, who is uh, uh, um, he's a doctor of psychology, and he works with addicts, and he's also a Christian and a man of God. And he, uh, anytime the patient will allow, he likes to supplement the normal stuff that he does with scriptures and teach them about God and help them come to an understanding that God absolutely loves them. But in this process, he said, I used to work at the VA with veterans. She goes in the VA, he said the VA uh, not, not too long ago, a year or two ago, uh, wrote uh, and revised their patients' rights uh, statements. The things that a patient has a right to. And he said, this is one of the things that just blew me out of the water when I read it. They said, a patient has a right to live a pain-free life. Let that sink in for a minute. A patient has a right to live a pain-free life. He said, my question back to them was, how did you arrive at that? 
He says, we have become such an entitled people, so self-absorbed and so entitled that we think that we're entitled to a pain-free life, and if we don't have it, then we want to actually blame God. We want to bring God down to our size and blame God for having to suffer in this life. He said, when you get to that point, you have to realize how entitled that is because the Bible's very clear that pain and suffering exist at the work, not of God's hands, but at the work of our own hands because it was sin that bought pain and suffering into the world. He says, how can we bring God down to our level and look at God and want to shake our finger and ask him how, how something bad could happen to somebody good as if we know the difference and as if we don't deserve it? How can we blame God for what exists at the work of us and not him? But the beauty of God is this, is that God can take what we have done and the mess that we have made and the suffering that, that exists in this world as a result of sin. God can take all of that and still use it for his glory and for our good. I think about the story of Joseph. And when he finally met up with his brothers and he revealed himself to them, and they were scared to death because of what they had done to him. And do you remember what he said? What you meant for evil, God used for good. And it's that concept that we must understand. If we truly, if we truly want to grow and mature, we have to come out of this, this, this mindset, if you will, that the world has is that somehow that, that like I'm the center of the story and somehow that God owes it to me to make sure everything is perfect the way I want it. The problem is, is in the garden, we see that, that Adam and Eve were there and they had run of the full garden, anything that they wanted to eat except for one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, you can eat of anything except for that. Of course, then the devil tempted Eve and says, he just doesn't want you to be like God. And you've heard me say that. I think last week or so I preached and touched on this. And he said that, you know, he didn't want you to be like God. But the problem is, is they ate from, from the tree of good and evil. And then God said, uh, you know, listen, you've done that which is wrong. And he, and he drove them out of the garden and he placed cherubs around the tree of life lest they eat from the tree of life, the Bible says, and live forever. So for that moment, God told them, if you eat from this tree, you'll surely die. And, and Satan's like, You're not, he didn't mean that. But do you realize at that moment, death started? By the way, if you actually go look in, at the Levitical law, that God had laws about touching dead things. Why? Because as something, when something dies and there's no longer life in it, do you realize that, 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 that living thing that once was living that is now dead will start to decay? And do you realize that's how disease and pestilence comes in the world? Have you ever seen a dead carcass laying on the road? And they got them funny, you know, they got normal flies and you got flies that got them weird looking colors, Right. And they nasty looking. Y'all know what I'm talking about them flies? That, my mom called them blowflies. I have no idea what they are. 
I don't know why they call, she called them, she called, look at them blowflies. Some of them so big that they got to call in the FAA for landing, you know, and take off. You know, like, you know, blowfly one to, to tire control and getting ready to take off. They're so big. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And they're just nasty. And that, that, that meat starts to turn them weird looking. Cut. Ain't nothing worse than going up on roadkill done been chewed up. Y'all know what I'm saying? Chewed up. Hmm. And then you see them nasty old ravens when they come down. They're like, hmm, that looks good. Right? <laughs> As soon as they ate from the, from the fruit of the tree, God told them to stay away from death is now a part of life. We know that God had to kill something because he made for them clothes of skins. And so death occurred. By the way, then the, the, the very first or the very next generation, right? Adam and Eve's sons, one kills the other. We see death coming. Then we see society get so bad that it just angered God. And he told Noah to build that ark, right? That a flood's coming. Up at that point, they'd never seen rain before. And then the flood comes. And Anybody ever been seen the aftermath of a flood? That is the most disgusting thing. Water lays in small pools everywhere. And, and there's nothing to stir that water. And so it becomes stagnant and nasty and stinky. Could you imagine what the earth was like after the flood? Folks, you see where I'm going with that, right? We see disease and all these things that are just coming upon the earth, not because God did something wrong, but because we sinned. And how can we shake our finger at God and ask him how he could allow these things like cancer enter our life? How can, how can, how can we look at that and, and blame him for that when we see that it's truly the result, truly the result of, of, of our sin? And that sin has entered the world and the world continues to die and decay. Matter of fact, we're filling the world up with trash. You know that, right? We're filling the world up with trash and all this nastiness. And it just continues to get worse and worse. And now instead of eating normal foods, we find a way to put some kind of chemical in it. And we do all these things. And listen, I can tell you that any kind of suffering that, 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 is, that exists, exists because of sin. Matter of fact, we see pain right from the very beginning because God told Eve that she would have pain during childbirth that it'd be painful. And pain has a way of, of making people think differently, by the way. And we'll see that in just a minute. Um, the doctor was, uh, was talking about the, the first time his, you know, when him and his wife had their first child. And she's in the middle of childbirth. Right? And through all that process. And, and she's like, I never have any more kids! Right? And she's like screaming. You know, she's pushing and all that stuff. And he's like, she's just telling me, that's it. We're going to be a one-child family! He said, six months later, she looked at me with that little twinkle in her eye. She goes, shouldn't we have another? He said, did you forget what happened six months ago? All that was just in the moment. Pain has a way of kind of changing our mind, but then when once we're removed from it, it doesn't take us long to forget, does it? And I want you to also consider this. What's the most important thing about you? Is it the physical body that you live in that is already condemned to die? Or your eternal soul that is condemned to eternal death lest you see the love of God and accept Him? And it was that moment that the doctor started talking about this, this bill of rights that we have a, the right to live pain-free. And, and how could we claim that knowing that pain and suffering is the result of our living in the sin that is coming to the world? 
I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Ray Comfort, but if you haven't, go look him up on YouTube one time, Ray Comfort, and, and watch him as he goes out and as he, um, uh, as he challenges people that, and when they ask that question, how bad things happen to good people. And his question is, he, he doesn't instantly go for why and make an excuse for God because, listen, there is no excuse to make because God didn't sin. We did. But the way people are really going to understand and come to God is we got to come to terms with what we've done instead of wanting to blame God for these things. And even the most humble and the most precious, I don't know about you, but every time I looked at my grandparents, I could never imagine my grandparents sinning. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's always, how could, they, how could that happen to Grandma Ethel? Grandma Ethel ain't never done nothing wrong in her life. Shoot. Grandma Ethel was 20 once. I bet she did. You ever heard of the game, Have You Ever? Right? Have you ever? So let's, let's play that game this morning. I'm not going to go through all 10, but let's just play a game of have you ever. Now, you don't have to let me know and raise your hand if you don't want to, because I already know you need to raise your hand anyway, so you ain't fooling me. But let's do have you ever. Have you ever told a lie? Sure you have, right? That moment I asked you if I look good and you said yes, you lied. Now, I think Sal's convinced, though. She actually thinks I look good. I don't, you know. Here's another. Have you ever, have you ever lusted? Have you ever looked at someone else and think, hmm, you know, it's one thing to see one, you know, a one second glance. Oh, well, you know, that's a blessing of God over there. It's another thing to, you know what I'm saying? Wow, God really blessed her. Y'all know what I'm saying? I ain't going to say who, but one guy taught me a trick. He said, listen, I don't care if you wear glasses or not, Huff. Wear sunglasses at the beach. He said, or you'll live to regret it. It's one thing to see a, well, God bless that person. There's nothing to, and I want to take in some of the blessing. So if you ever lost it, right, there's two marks against you. Has anybody, have you ever stolen something? By the way, that includes intellectual property. And there ain't a preacher around can't say he ain't stolen. Because if I can't remember who said it, then I'll just take, uh, if, I, if I can't remember who said it, I'm just going to claim it, right? So stealing includes intellectual property. Have you ever stolen anything? You ever taken something that wasn't yours? By the way, have you ever murdered anyone? Oh, you're like, oh finally one I haven't done. <laughs> I thought I was going to be five for five there for a second. Have you ever murdered anyone? I don't see any hands up. Well, let me ask you, do you remember back on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was talking? He says, the law says, thou shalt not murder, but I tell you that if you've ever called someone a fool, you're in danger of hair of fire. So let me back up. Have you ever murdered anybody with your words? Have you ever cut somebody down? Have you ever talked poorly about someone and tried to kill their spirit because that's murder according to the scripture let's see what else one more have you ever worshipped worshipped an idol I don't see anybody nodding their head yes so we've got one person being honest about it so let me ask it this way have you ever put anything before God 
Shoot, sometimes it's our spouse. Sometimes it's our family or other people, a job. It could be all kind of things. So listen, if you answered yes to those things, it means that you're a lying, adulterous, murdering idolater. Well, I just think you feel good about yourself, don't it? Pastor's sitting me out here feeling real good this morning. What'd you learn in church? I'm a lying, adulterous, murdering idolater. So let me ask you, is there anybody good? You see, the scripture says that we can't come to God unless the Spirit draw us. By myself, I can't even seek God without His Spirit drawing me. The rich young ruler goes to the Jesus. He says, good, you know, good teacher. He says, why do you call me good? There's not one that is good. You know, you've heard us sometimes teach and talk about the difference between the, the Calvinism model of understanding of salvation and then the Armenian. But here's something they agree on is the total depravity of man. In myself, I am not good and I'm not capable of good. Because in myself, I'll be selfish every time. Without the work of God going on in my heart, without His Spirit drawing my heart, I won't even, I won't even think to seek God without His help. And so there's not one that is good. And so when we, when we see ourselves for who we are, then, then all of a sudden it, it really changes. So the question is no longer, why do bad things happen to good people? It's more like, why doesn't more bad things happen to me? Because Lord knows I deserve it. And so suffering has not come around because it's God trying to put his hand on us and push us down. Suffering doesn't come around because we got this God that, that is like a big bully that, that has a magnifying glass in and, and the sun and we're the ants running around and he's trying to burn us up. He's not looking for ways to destroy us. We have a God that absolutely loves us and in spite of what we've done and in spite of the suffering that we've brought on ourselves because of our sin, he still yet is willing to redeem us just for the asking. He's a great God, isn't he? We were singing that song yesterday, Good, Good Father. I love that song. It's who you are. And I am loved by you. It's who I am. So when we look at suffering, we have to look from, from perspective that we have to put ourselves in proper place. You see, I can't bring God down to my, and point my finger at him. I can try to, but all I'm doing is hurting Huff. Until I put things in the right perspective that he's God and he's almighty and holy, righteous, not ever done one thing wrong, and it is I who needs him. That's what the world doesn't see. The world doesn't see that the world has gotten so self-centered and selfish that it's about me. Even to the point that there is a, what we kind of consider, not only we, we call it the health and wealth gospel, some people now call it the new American gospel, that somehow the, the salvation story centers around you, the, the individual, instead of realizing that the, the salvation story is centered around Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and the fact that he loves us in spite of our sinful nature. Instead, there's a gospel that says that you that you're just a smaller version of God and that you can be God just like God and that what you say has to be done as well. Will you say it 
in a command of authority and wielding the name of Jesus as if it's our will to be done. And that's not the way it works. But that kind of prosperity gospel, boy, it'll, it, it, it really captures people because they talk about living your best life now. Do you realize that I live, I, I live in, in, in a body of flesh that Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And I must fight and beat back. Paul says that I must beat my flesh under subjection. Because I live in a sinful nature, in a sinful body. And that to follow Christ is contrary to the desires of the flesh. Because the desires of the flesh will always choose the flesh. See, the thing is, is if I had my choice, I would be rich. Y'all know what I'm saying? If I had my choice, I would live pain-free. But by the way, if we can live pain-free here, then why would we even desire heaven at all? If I could live pain-free, if I could live here without the results of sin, because that's what we're asking, isn't it? To live a pain-free life is one of, to want to live without the consequences of sin in my life. Oh, y'all deserve it. Y'all need to live pain lives, but I want pain-free. And so you know how we achieve pain-free? Well, that was the crisis we were there to talk about yesterday. We go to the doctor and we're hurting. Instead of asking God what the purpose for the pain is and to help me. Now listen, I'm not saying not go to the doctor. And even me and Chris was talking about this. I mean, you got a body that's broke up. I mean, I have to go to the doctor. And I have to sometimes take medicine. That's not what we're talking about. But it's this desire to, to totally live pain-free and achieve that by some means. The doctor can help us knock the edge off. But to get pain-free is to allow yourself to be totally taken over. And what I learned yesterday was... In this opioid crisis, the doctor said this. I didn't know where he was going with it. He said, if you were to take an arrow from a bow and shoot it through this ear straight out the other ear. Now, I didn't know where he was going with it. I'm like, are we supposed to start shooting people? Because my choice is not a bow and arrow. I can tell you that. I'm going to put something a little more zing behind it. You know what I mean? Bow and arrow. Anybody ever try to shoot one of them things? I leave that to the Indians. They did that stuff. I I want something that got some powder behind you. You know what I'm saying? I want to be able to go, when I get done. But he says, you were shooting an arrow right through one ear and out the other. You would hit this center area of your brain. He said, and the brain is just a unique thing that God has made that is so powerful. But right in the center is that area where you sense feelings. Where you sense happiness and joy and all these things. And you, you can... You can react and, and that you can enjoy and, and feel joy and happiness. He said, but that's the area. It's in that area, that, that sensory area that opioids attack to numb and dull the senses so that you don't feel the pain. But when you go to not feel the pain, guess what else you don't feel? You don't feel happy. You don't have emotions. 
you don't have compassion. You don't really feel anything for anybody else. He said, that's why dope fiends really can pretty much go, when they get high, they can go out and rob their own mother or grandmother, and they don't really feel a sense of anything about it. He says, you could be sitting at Christmas dinner with all your loved ones, and they could be all so happy and hugging each other and crying, and there you are sitting just eating your meat and your turkey and wondering what all the fuss is about. I want you to know that when he got to that part, and I don't know why I'm telling you this, it ain't my notes, I started sobbing. And then I tried to talk and I was uncontrollable. I couldn't, because it was just two weeks ago, I sat up on my couch upstairs and Sal looked at me and was like, she, this is what she thought. She goes, are you in that nothing box again? Those of you who've been in Family Matters, you know what that is. Guys all have a nothing box. You see, women can't sit and not think about anything, but men can't. We have this nature where we can literally sit and do nothing. And by the way, we're good at it. Ain't we boys? Huh? Amen. All the women were cackling, right? And all of us were like, finally, somebody knows me. But I sat on the couch and Sal looked at me and she goes, are you in your nothing box? I've been in a nothing box too long. I tried to explain to her how I felt and how the only time I feel normal is here. And you've heard me say that before, but I didn't understand why. But this is, this is the only time I felt normal it was when we were in worship in the Word. But then after this, I can go sit down and I could just feel nothing. And I tried to explain to her what that meant and that it had nothing to do with anything that she had done because when I told her I couldn't feel anything, she thought, well, what did I do? That, that had I gotten so mad at her or so discontent with her that, that I just felt nothing for her? And I said, I love you. I know that without a shadow of a doubt, I love you. But I just don't feel overtaken by any emotion at all. And then he showed a picture of the brain. And he showed that how that area that is normally affected by being with our family and being with our church family and enjoying each other's company and, and, and just enjoying life and the things that bring us joy and happiness in life. When you see that area of the brain and then you see that after an extended use of opiates, you see all of a sudden that that area has now been so dulled that there's no electrical interaction. By the way, our nerves are electrical pulses. That area is no longer receiving those pulses because the opioids have dulled it down so you don't feel pain. So you don't hurt. But the problem is, is once you get that way, after you've been off of it for a while, it will come back, but it could take sometimes upwards of two years. And when he said that, and I knew that there was hope that I would start feeling like myself again, I just started sobbing. All the other people thought I was nuts. Here, the pastor of the church is, you know, opened their church up to this thing. And, and they're like, well, they didn't know he was a junkie sitting back there. That's what I kind of felt like, you know. Am I the only pastor junkie in the building? Or just That's the way I felt, by the way. You know what I mean. But it was amazing. It was amazing to learn how this worked. And this is, 
This is a doctor that loves the Lord and he's looking at trying to help people from a biblical perspective or understanding how God made us. And it's that understanding of God's beautiful work in our brain that helps him help people. And I'm gonna tell you, in my life, it made a difference to me yesterday. And he showed the brain after 24 months and how that area was coming back. You see, this world, this world wants its senses dulled because we don't want to experience pain in any form or fashion. I talked to a lady one day, she goes, my family, they upset me so bad. And I went to the doctor to try to ask him to give me something to help with it. I said, wait a second, so, so, so you went to the doctor to ask you for help because your family frustrates you? Well, yeah, well, what did you expect them to do? Well, she goes, they gotta have some kind of medicine or something that could help with that. You with me? So instead of dealing with the issue, instead of dealing with the problem, or just saying, you know what? God of the universe loves me. So if you don't love me, that's kind of your loss. But I'm going to love you. And you can deal with God on that. But instead, because she desired acceptance from these people and didn't get it, she wanted to turn her senses off. And that's exactly what it does. And that's the, that's the world we live in, that we are so entitled that we think we don't have to, to deal with any of this. And so I'm going to really quickly give you five purposes of suffering that will hopefully make us look at life a little differently. Now, first off, I'm not thinking that you are seeking anything like that, but I just want you to understand, maybe not because you need this, but maybe because your neighbor needs it. Because you know what? We need to learn the scriptures and we need to understand our purpose and we need to understand how things work theologically speaking in God's word, not just for our own growth, but God, God, and, and I don't understand why he did it, but he's God. But for whatever reason, God decided to use us to be the vehicle by which he delivers the good news. And so listen, we live in a world today that any time that someone has something bad in their life happens and they run into a Christian, what are they going to ask them? Why did this have to happen? Why did God let this happen? We hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. Why did God let this happen? But I started asking, well, who decided to come to work this morning? You were God. Why well, I did. All right. So do you believe that God allows people to make their choices? Yeah. But when somebody makes choices that are bad, you want to blame God for it. I don't understand how that, I don't understand how you could arrive at that. How can you want your freedom to choose, amen, free will? How can you want your freedom to choose, but then chastise God when that freedom of free will doesn't work the way you think it should work? How is it that all of a sudden you want God to impose his will and what you think is good upon those people to get the results that you want? But yet you'll shake your fist at him and say, God, don't you make me do something I don't want to do. Because this is my life. This is my choice. Isn't that kind of amazing how we do that? And the only way we're going to help people with and understand this process is to understand what the word of God says and be able to deliver that. Say, listen, you need to understand who almighty God is. You need to understand how suffering came into this world. And you need to understand that God in his infinite love for us doesn't leave us hang out to dry and just suffer the consequences of sin. Instead, God takes that even which is wrong and bad that is a result of my work and uses it even for my good. 
That's what you need to understand about God. We need to make sure that we put the proper perspective on it. So this is number one. Suffering and its purpose is for reward. First one is reward. Right? We lay treasures up in heaven. That's the, that's the scripture that we read in the beginning. Let me just read verse 17 for you. It says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So does God, God allow us to experience suffering for his glory? Yes, and when we do it for his glory, we are laying up treasures in heaven for us that, that where the Bible says that moths and, and rust cannot get a hold of them. There are times that, that we endure suffering and, and, and what we're doing is laying up a reward in heaven because there's a purpose for it. And God says that, listen, I love you and you say you love me, but you got to realize I love your neighbor as much as I love you and your suffering can speak to your neighbor. And I want to reach your neighbor because I love him as much as I love you. And so I'm going to allow you to experience suffering. But listen, you got to realize that you're going to experience it for a temporary, uh, finite time. But listen, but I'm going to give you treasures in heaven that are absolutely eternal. So that means, you know what, a little pain now and a whole lot of glory forever. Amen. Suffering can exist for, for our reward. But even but because it's our reward, we got to realize the purpose of that is to lay these treasures up in heaven. But he's using that suffering to speak to the world through us. I love some of the comments and, and statements I've read about Elizabeth Elliot over the years. But the thing is, I would never know who Elizabeth Elliot was if it wasn't for her husband being killed by the very people they were trying to reach. They were trying to reach these folks. I think it was down the Amazon. Don't quote me on it. It was somewhere down there in the jungle. By the way, um, there's a movie, an old movie that was made about them. I think it's called End of the Spear. Or Anybody know what that movie is? Anybody ever seen it? Was, is that the name of it? End of the Spear? Something like it. It's got spear in the name, right? We'll figure it out. I'll text it out to you. As matter of fact, I think it was on Netflix. I even watched it not too long ago. Uh, but I, you know I can't remember names. I remember Elizabeth Elliot. It was Elizabeth Elliot that said this. I'm called to be obedient, but the results are up to God. Elizabeth Elliot ended up spending years and years with the very people who killed her husband. But you know what? Had she not suffered in that capacity, I probably would never know the name of Elizabeth Elliot. But I can tell you this, I guarantee you Elizabeth Elliot wouldn't so much want me to know her name as she would want me to know what God had done in her life. We lay eternal rewards up in heaven. There is a purpose for our suffering. And to know that none of our suffering that we experience here is without purpose. And know that, that our suffering here is temporary. And that God will reward us eternally. Now if I told you that, I got a job for you to do, Chris. It's going to be tough. It's going to be nasty. But at the end, there's going to be a big payoff. He still probably say, what is it? That's just my buddy, Chris. Problem is, I do that to God. All right, God, what is it? He's like, it ain't for you to know. And sometimes we have to blindly, because that's part of faith is knowing without seeing. I have to know 
And the scripture gives us in a macro sense, is what John Piper says, the, the, the Bible gives us a macro sense of understanding of the purpose of pain and suffering. I may not know the individual specifics of why I must endure. And, and listen, I, just because we're tight and we're like brothers, let me just tell you a story. Several years ago, a guy was in an accident, bad car accident. And you know him, he's sitting in here. He still hobbles to this day because of that. I call him like a modern day Jacob, but instead of wrestling with an angel, he wrestled with a brake pedal of a Dodge truck down in the floorboard. Like, what are you doing down there? Get up. And that trapped under a truck. I know what you're thinking. Why are you making it about him? I'm not. So let me tell you the rest of the story. So in the process of trying to help raise some funds to kind of help him, because he's off work for several months, we, we recorded a CD in his basement, right, or in his bedroom. We called it the bedroom recording session, which sounds weird. Um, after I put it, after I put it on the CD cover, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't look right. We have to do something different about that. But at the end of that CD, Chris and I sat in that nursery right there. And I interviewed him about the purpose for his pain and what God had shown him out of those months where he was laying flat on his back and couldn't work and had to rely on other people. Oh, I remember people bringing him food. I don't know what it was that Jeannie made one time. You're like, I don't know what she made this out of. My gosh, she said, I can't stop it. Look, Chris, he wasn't supposed to get out of bed, but here he was trying to get that refrigerator. Had a walker, had a special arm hold on it. There he is. To get there to warm some more of that stuff up. I mean, it was amazing the people that came out of the woodwork to do things for him. His ex-wife's husband came over and mowed his grass. You can't make that up. So we did his interview. What he didn't know, what I didn't know, was a year later, someone I loved dearly, Tom Windmiller, his wife, would get a severe form of cancer. In her mind, she was questioning why God would let this happen. And Tom called me, and Tom is one of these kind of non-emotional people. He called me, and his voice was cracking up, and I could tell he was crying. He said, we just decided to listen to that CD driving down the road. I don't know why. Of course, I know why. He said, and, you know, it was just playing the tracks as they went. And, and all of a sudden, I hear your voice talking and Chris. And he said, we were captivated and we were on the way to the doctor. They'd already had the bad news. They were trying to figure out what, you know, what all could be done. And he said, but then he started to talk about how God used that time. That there was a reason for it. He said, and you won't believe what that did for us that day. A couple weeks later, they would end up here at the church. I would tell the story about the man in the wheelbarrow. To this day, Ellen wears a little charm of a wheelbarrow around her neck to remind her of when she realized she needed Jesus and ask her in her heart. Now listen, sometimes we may never know the results. It's nice that we know the result of, that's just one instance that somebody was touched. Lord knows how many other ones. But listen, we, if we truly love the Lord and truly love our neighbor, I mean, our desire is to see lost souls saved. And if that means you have to walk with a limp for a while, if that means you have to endure something, we need to drop the self-centeredness and say, you know what? My pain has a purpose because I know according to the scripture that it says here, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight. I know that there's a purpose for it and that if I don't see the result here, I know that in heaven when I get there that there'll be a reward for that and that's enough for me. 
part of the purpose for suffering is a reward in heaven. But listen, number two is this. Pain can serve as a reminder. Pain can serve as a reminder. Suffering serves as a reminder of why Christ came and suffered as we, as his children, get to share in his suffering, which is also the mark of a true believer. Philippians 3, 8 through 1 says, 8 through 11, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Pain, suffering serves us as a reminder that Christ also suffered. It reminds me that Christ's time here on earth was not easy. And so when I'm suffering and I'm wallowing around and I can't sleep at night, it should serve as a reminder that if I keep my nose in the word and I truly try to look at things from a biblical perspective and have a biblical worldview instead of the worldview that the world has today that, that is self-centered on them. Because the world says, why do I got to suffer? Biblical worldview says Jesus suffered. And I get the honor of suffering too. Because my suffering is momentary. It's not going to last very long because James said our life is but a vapor it's here and it's gone you ever ask someone who's on their deathbed ask them how long their life was and see what they tell you my mother-in-law was in was 80 almost 83 and near I don't know about a month or two before her death her and I were just talking one day and I said grandma you you feel old she goes Lord I feel old she goes but I don't know how I got here I said what do you mean she said, well, my body reminds me that I'm old, but I don't know how I got here. It was just yesterday that I was doing other things. And I remember when we got our first child, you see, Grandma could never have children. They adopted both of their children. Sal and her brother were both adopted. And she says, I remember the day we got to bring Sally home. I remember going through the classes that they made us go through before they would let us bring her home. I remember bringing her home. She goes, that was just yesterday. And now here we are. You have children that are grown. And we're, we're here and you're taking care of me. I don't know how I got here. It just happens so fast, huh? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Life happens fast. So listen, the suffering may make the nights long, but overall, we're not going to be here long. And so if we have to suffer, are we better than Christ? Are we better than our Savior? Why was suffering okay for him to give me life, but then I demand to live pain-free? How does that even... How is that putting him as the Lord of our life? How, how do we find ourselves and put ourselves in a position where we should have it better? Well, shouldn't it be the other way around? Jesus should have, have everybody, should have had everybody bowing down to him from the very beginning. They should have lifted him so high. But instead, they plucked his beard, they spit in his face, and they beat him beyond recognition. And yet, I think that I deserve something better than that. Absolutely. Suffering results in rewards. It's also a great reminder. Number three is suffering works righteousness in us. Righteousness is the purpose, another purpose of suffering. 
Remember, this is not an exhaustive list. This is not the only five things. But here's five concrete things the scripture shows us, shall remind us when we're suffering of why. Righteousness. What do you mean? Suffering is the discipline of our loving Heavenly Father so that we come to share His righteousness and holiness. That's what John Piper said. Suffering brings about righteousness as a teacher teaches. It becomes a, pain becomes a deterrent and helps us grow in righteousness. You see, I think about Jacob and the limp that he had. You know, that limp served as a reminder. But not only a reminder, that, that, that limp also helped him in the ways of righteousness to remember who God was and to want to live in a way that is pleasing to him. Pain can serve as a, as a great reminder. If you don't think so, y'all remember how we used to train kids not to touch stuff? Y'all remember that? You take their hand away and you do what? Whew, man, I tell you, it's a wonder I didn't have hand, both hands bandaged walking around when I was a kid. Many times I got smacked. See, my grandma was like this. Oh, we're not childproof in our house. We're adult-proofing you by the use of that behind you got right there and this paddle that I got here. Grandma didn't take stuff off her TV so kids didn't touch it. Uh-uh. No, you learn not to touch that stuff. She called them whatnots. What is a whatnot? Is that, do they still call it that? Whatnots. I don't even know if that's a word. Don't you touch them whatnots. You tell people that, and they, well, they laugh just like Jeannie did. I guess it meant what not, right? Maybe. Yeah, what not to touch. But boy, she would just fire. Think about pain can serve as a deterrent. It can be pain because here's the deal. The Bible says that if we sow the wind, we'll reap the whirlwind, that God's not going to be mocked. We can't live and do sinful things and not expect to reap the suffering for it. But that's the world we want to live in. We want to live in a world where we can do anything wrong and not suffer the consequences of it. And the thing is, but we want everybody else to suffer the full penalty of the law. You got these people willing to pay out a half a million dollars to get their kid into some stupid school, and now they want to hang them. But these other people over here done done, you know, tax evasion, all these other things. Well, they didn't mean to. I mean, look at the people that we have. You just go to Washington, D.C. and look at that mess. And some, anybody across the aisle that does something wrong, we got to hang them. Public square, bring back public hanging. Then somebody on this aisle, the aisle that you're on, does something wrong. Well, he didn't mean it. Poor soul didn't understand it. He's 60 years old for the love of Pete. He understood he's a grown man. Society we live in. I shouldn't have to do, receive any kind of punishment. And the people over there that I don't like, they should receive all of it. Can you see the self-centeredness here? But God says this, he's not going to be mocked. And so sometimes suffering is just literally a result of God working righteousness in us. Because pain becomes a deterrent. And God says, I love you so much to let you feel pain, to take you away from what you're doing, and to bend your will back into mine. I love you enough. I wish there's some, there some parents that I believe that, not saying in this building, but I'm just saying in general, you ever go to Walmart and you wish some parents love their kids a little more? Y'all know what I'm saying? When I say mean loving their kids a little more, I mean love them enough to whoop them. You know what I mean? I told you all that story last Sunday. 
My mother beat me with an inch in her life with that piece of trim board and walked me into my class and dared me to tell somebody. I'll go on and say something. Now, <laughs> I think she did that out of anger. I don't think that was Ephesians 6 material, to be quite honest with you. I used to tease her that. I said, Mom, that day, I don't think you was working for the Lord. You used that scripture, but that whooping I got afterwards, I believe there was a little, I believe there was a little Satan in that one. I heard her voice, don't you ever do it again. <laughs> okay, Ma. Did everything but made her head spin. Y'all know what I'm saying? Woo! Sometimes it takes a little pain for us to bend back to where we need to be. Now, you got to understand, suffering could be any one of these, and there's some others too. So we can't look at someone and automatically think they've done something wrong because... Remember when Jesus was walking with his disciples and there was that, that blind guy and, and the disciples had already tried to pray for him and they, they, nothing worked and, and they asked Jesus, you know, after Jesus healed him, why couldn't we do it? He said, because of prayer and fasting. You haven't prayed and fasted, you know, to, to truly understand and to have that kind of strength. And they said, well, which one sinned, his mother or his father? He said, neither, but that I may be glorified. Think about that. Neither one of his parents said that, that boy wasn't blind as a result of sin. Now, sometimes sin and God working righteousness in us by, by helping us understand that we sinned and using pain as a deterrent or using pain as a guide to get us back on track. But that doesn't mean that's always the issue. I want you to make sure you understand that. So don't go home and say, well, the pastor told me I'm suffering because I'm a bad person and I've been sinning. That's not what I'm saying. And I will say, no, maybe, matter of fact, maybe you've experienced suffering in your life because God sees a strength in you and a faith in you that is so strong that he allowed you to experience that so others may come to him and God's laid a reward for you for that. Maybe that's why you're suffering. Maybe that's the reason you're going through it. I would like to think sometimes that's why I experience it, but it's probably not. I know me. Sal knows me. Don't ask her any questions. But the work of righteousness. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 to 11 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Going down to verse 10, it says, For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, for he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You ever thought about what God has done for us and what God has kept us out of by a little bit of pain and we don't realize it and we probably aren't, haven't been happy with him about it but you know what there may be some things that God steered me away from earlier in my life through the use of pain that kept me out of a whole lot more mess that I'd have got myself into I don't know but I know that pain could God can use pain to do the work of righteousness think about that for a minute God could even take our mistakes and the result of our mistakes and use it for our good. That's the kind of holy, loving God we serve. Number four is this. Pain and suffering could also serve a purpose of reliance. Reliance. Suffering is a call to trust God and not the life-sustaining props of the world. Suffering makes us call on Christ for his strength when ours runs out. You see, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I didn't rely on God because I was able to do it on my own. You ever been there? 
somehow I was able to make things happen that I need to happen, and so I wasn't relying on God. But here's the thing. I need to rely on God. I need Him to work in my life. But it seems that when, when I'm addressing things that I can do under my own power, I don't consult Him near as much. You know what I'm saying? My prayer life gets a whole lot better when things tend to get a whole lot worse. Amen? Why is it in the rough times we pray more? We spend more time with God when we're hurting than in times where we're not hurting. And maybe that's just part of maturing process. But I know it's true for me, and I'm a pastor. And I'm sure it's true for you. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians in his letter um, to the Corinthian church, it says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. Paul said they were beyond despair they all, to the point that, they, I mean, we, we were just at the point of just wanting death. But God did so and allowed it to occur so that we would rely on him and not our own strength. I talked to somebody earlier this week just in passing, and they knew I was a pastor, and I was out of town earlier this week, and, uh, or last week, I guess. Today's the first day of the week, so. It couldn't have happened this week because it ain't happened yet. Unless I'm being prophetic, but I'm not. So anyway, last week, I confused my own self. Y'all know I can talk my own self into anything. Can you? I, I know I can. Right? Give me enough time, I can spend it somehow. So last week I was talking to somebody, and, and they were like, you know, Huff, just pray for us, man. Things are, things are tough. I said, man, I just, I, I can't do it anymore. I said, well, that's just about the right place. He said, huh? I said, think about it. I don't understand what you mean. I said, well, for God to do work, we got to let him do his work. But when I, I get to the point where I can't do anymore, well, it's because I've been trying to do it myself. I said, have you actually called on God for his strength to do it? You see, we can do a lot more when we, when we have the strength of Christ, right? Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? I said, so have you called on him for that help? Because I can guarantee you, you're going to be stressed beyond what you can handle on your own. Because everybody, they, they, you know, God never put more on you. You can stand. That's a bunch of baloney because the Bible does not say that. The Bible says he will not allow anything to come upon you, which is not he won't give you a way of escape. That's a much different, that's a much different statement. The fact is, is you will be stretched beyond what you can do. But that's when the work of God comes in. And anybody who's ever been through a real tough moment will realize at the end of that, I know I wasn't walking on my strength. My strength gave out early on. Only way, only way that I endured that is through Christ who strengthened me. We need to rely on God, and sometimes it takes moments of difficulty to get us there. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, various, meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The only way we can truly be steadfast is to rely on God 
And so James says, count it all joy. By the way, you know that if you were going through a tough time and you met James personally and the first time you ever heard that was James looking at you saying, count it all joy, brother. You shut up. You just shut up. Shut up now. I will smack the snot right. I mean, literally. Anybody ever seen snot fly? I have. I got hit one time so hard that snot flew out. I'm like, wow, it does. It does happen. Sorry, Mary. It's always a bodily function with you. But you look at James, count it all joy. I kick him in both his knees and put him down. Count that joy. How's that? While you're wheeling yourself around for the next eight weeks waiting for your needles to heal. Count that joy. You imagine the first time James said that to somebody? Like, brother, I would not write that down if I were you. Don't put that down. You realize when James wrote this, people were dying under Nero's hand, right? People were being, like, tortured. People were being put in the games and allowed them being torn apart by tigers and stuff, you know, in those, in those gladiator games. And, and Nero was dipping them in tar and lighting them to, to, on fire to light his, his garden. I mean, think of all the terrible things they were going through here. And James says, count it all joy, brothers. It was somebody you want to smack. But what he's saying is the reason we can count it as joy is that God cares enough about our walk with him. To say, you know, Huff, you're, you're a long-term project, not a short-term. I don't, I don't need you to always like me, but I need you to rely on me. And your spiritual condition is worth more to me. Oh, look how cute she is. <laughs> she didn't say Paul Paul, she said Mommy. Just pass it right on over. <laughs> she looked right past Chris. She said, I don't, this ain't Paul Paul time. The last one is this, repentance. The purpose of suffering can be a call for us and others to turn away from sin and to rely on God. Let me ask you this. How many of you think we're on, in church the Sunday after 9-11? Was 9-11 not a call for us to to wake up and remember that life could be gone today. I'm sure there were a lot of people that were just living and they're saying, just happy-go-lucky, and you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna live to be old. Then all of a sudden a tragic thing like that happens and you're like, because you know, I started to think about the people that were in that building that day. Could you imagine being working at your desk and on the phone and you look up and you're seeing the nose of a Boeing plane getting ready to come in? You can't run at that point. Ain't no running away from that. Can you imagine how many people were taken like that who never saw it coming? Somebody who was over in a copy room, wasn't even near a window. Nobody screamed, yelled because they were so busy and consumed with what they were doing. They never thought to look out the window to see if a plane's going to hit them. You imagine they were taken just like that without ever even a warning, just gone. That's why people were in church after 9-11. It wasn't to pray for our country. It was because they were reminded that death comes quickly. And a lot of times it comes with no announcement. In Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, it says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. In other words, Pilate had killed a bunch of them. 
It says, and he answered him, do you think that these Galileans are, were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or the 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. They were using two big tragic events. He was using two tragic events of the day to remind them that they need to be ready. And they didn't, they didn't die. The, the tower of Siloam fells, and we don't really know exactly what that was, but when that tower fell, apparently, I don't know if it was a construction accident or what, but when that tower fell and it killed those people, he said, do you think that, they, that they, were, they died at that accident just because they were worse sinners? No, I'm telling you that he says all need to repent. He's saying, look, here, here's two big Here's two big calamities that occurred, or two tragic things that occurred. And I'm sure everybody was talking about it. Did you hear about the tower fell and 14 were killed? I'm telling you, he said, you need to repent. You know what he was saying? Take your conscience of awareness that death could come in any minute and let it serve you well by repenting so that you're ready in case it happens to you. Pain can be, and suffering can be a call to repentance. We must grow out of our immaturity and see that sin causes great pain, but that God can use it for our good. So pain and suffering produce a heavenly reward. Pain and suffering can serve as a reminder. Pain and suffering can be used to produce righteousness in us. Pain and suffering can help us to stay reliant on God. And pain and suffering can serve as a call to repentance. We can't just look at someone who's suffering and ask, what did they do wrong? Because they may have not done anything wrong at all. It may be something else. And so what your question may be today is, well, how do I know what my pain and suffering is about? How, is God trying to call me to repentance or is, is God trying to remind me of something or, or what? And here's the, here's the answer to that. Only God could tell you that. I can't look at your suffering and tell you why. But let, let this also be remembered today. Is remember that there's a world out here that wants to escape suffering. And they blame anything they go through on God. And they blame him as if somehow that they are good and they don't deserve it. So how do we reach people outside these doors? First thing we got to do is, is help them understand that the reason we came to God is because I realized that there is nothing good in me. And listen, unless somebody sees themselves for who they are, they're not going to come to Christ. Now, you just, I tell you what I don't like. I don't like these preachers that get up on the corner with a bullhorn. I saw one down, to, down across the bank of Charleston, I don't know, it's been a couple months ago. Guy with a bullhorn standing on the corner at the courthouse telling everybody they're sinners. Yeah, that's going to work real well. There might be one or two go by that maybe listen. We reached them in love. That was the real message I wanted to do today, but maybe I'll get to do that one next week. But I can tell you this, the only way we're truly going to help people is they have to understand that God does love them and that what they're experiencing is not because God is trying to beat them up. And honestly, anything we receive, I actually, I deserve it. But they have to understand that suffering comes in the world because of sin. And it may have not been their specific sin, but suffering exists because of sin. Cancer exists because of sin. The Bible says that it rains upon the just and the unjust. You know what that means? That the results of sin and all the, the pestilence in the world, it hits all of us. 
the just and the unjust. Quit trying to have heaven here. Now, we can have his kingdom here by meaning that we can participate in his will and allow his kingdom to be our first and foremost concern and allow it to be our priority in life. But listen, heaven's going to be where there's going to be no suffering. We're not entitled to pain-free. We're not entitled to that. What I deserve is hell. But if we're going to be effective out there, we've got to get them to quit looking at God as if they bring them down to his size. We've got to let them and lovingly tell them that the reason I came to Christ was because I realized that I deserve hell. And so do you. This crisis that exists, this opioid crisis that is taken. By the way, do you know what the number one state is in the opioid crisis? You know the worst state in the whole United States is West Virginia? It's West Virginia. One person dies every 10 minutes in this country. One dies every 10 minutes as a result of addiction. In 2016, a study was done, 51 out of every 100,000 people in West Virginia will die because of, an, uh, because of an addiction issue. By the way, 2018, they did a study, it's not official yet, but he gave us the word, it's up to 58. 58 out of every 100,000 people in this state will die as a result of their addiction. Because why? Because they're out here trying to live pain-free. They're trying to wipe out, maybe sometimes in life they're trying to wipe out their senses because of the things that they've experienced in life. The young girl who talked about heroin addiction had been molested. I mean, trying to, to, to put out of those things out of their mind. And so if I'm always thinking about those things, and if those things are haunting me, then what do I try to do? I try to numb myself. Sometimes the numbing is not physical. Sometimes the, the numbing that they're trying to do is not because they're experiencing physical pain. It's because they have mental pain, emotional pain. But the thing is, things like drugs work on all of those, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional whether it's mental, it doesn't matter. They all converge in that area of the brain. And they produce this thing called dopamine, these electrical impulses. So I try to kill the electrical pulse generator so that I don't have to feel those things anymore. So the world out here is trying to live in such a way that they don't have to experience suffering, where a believer we're to embrace it because I know according to the scripture that not one pain I feel is pain that doesn't have a purpose. There's a purpose. And we as believers have to believe that with all of our heart or we're never going to reach anybody out there who's trying to dull their senses. Let me tell you this. I can tell you this unequivocally. For those of you who don't know the story, I lived two years on fentanyl from a doctor's care. I wasn't doing it illegally or anything else. It was doctor's care, but the effects on me is exactly the same as it was on somebody who, who did it illegally. It doesn't matter. The results are exactly the same. You know, I think about like all the children. Um, Brittany had approached something because she works with children and all the children that are affected because their parents are trying to live through this crisis and, and no feel no pain. And so when they feel no pain, guess what else they don't? They don't feel any compassion for their children. 
and they don't care what happens to them. And we have a crisis in our state for children. There's not enough homes, not enough foster care. There's not enough people to take care of these young kids. And they come in traumatized. And you know what? Unless someone helps them with that trauma and tells them that there's a God that loves them and helps them understand that what has happened to them is terrible. But listen, God loves you and he'll never do to you what your parents have done to you. Unless someone helps them see Christ and that Christ loves them, guess what those kids are going to grow up to do? Dull their senses just like mom and dad did. It becomes a never-ending cycle. And the hope that's found in Christ is the only thing. But I can tell you the effects on my body were the same as someone who did it illegally. It didn't matter. And I want you to know that I've been, I was it been a year maybe? I don't, I, I just, I kind of marked it the last time I, that I kind of had an issue out there in the trailer. I don't know, it's been maybe a year now. But even after a year, do you know I still sit and I'm just dull? And I couldn't figure out why. And I, honestly, when that doctor told me yesterday, when that doctor presented, I was sitting right back there where Denise is sitting. And I started sobbing and Sal was behind me not know what was going on because finally somebody gave me a reason and helped me understand that what had happened to me and why I'm still experiencing the effects a year later. Now, I know my hope is in Jesus. And the reason I'm not out trying to, trying now to, to do it illegally to try to get that back because my doctor would give it to me if I wanted it. I know that my hope is in Jesus, and I know that suffering has a purpose, so I've just been trusting him. But I'm going to tell you, it was awful nice to finally get an explanation to let me know that what I was feeling was normal, of all things. But you know what? That makes me scared. It makes me scared for people out here. Because I may have felt that way, but I was relying on God, not because I'm something special, folks. It's not that I'm some great Christian. But I cannot imagine what I would be doing with myself if I was out here without Christ. Because living that way is miserable. It is miserable. Think about, think about things happening in your life that you always wanted to happen. And when they happen, that you just literally have no reaction. Imagine what it's like to sit around and, and, and be in a crowd full of people and still feel alone. And honestly, you could go in a corner and shut the lights off and sit down and it wouldn't bother you that you're alone because at this point, I'd have to make myself do things. Make myself interact with people because that's what God has called me to do. And I've almost quit pastoring more than once because how can I do that? How can I continue to do this? But it was God telling me, listen, I'm not letting... <laughs> I'm not letting you out of the role. I, I made you to do this. This is the, your role in life. This is what I've given you. And the only refuge I had is that when I'm in the middle of it, preaching, singing, even talking with people one-on-one -on -one and counseling, in those moments, I felt like myself. And if it weren't for you and my church family, I don't know if I, I don't know what I'd have done. This is the world we live in. This is the world that we got to care for, folks. The compassion I have for those people is tenfold. And maybe I had to go through it simply so I would understand. Because I can sit and look someone in the eye and say, I know. I may not have to have a stolen television to buy it. But I know the feeling of it just the same.
And I have to be okay with that. I don't know what you're going through, but whatever you're going through, I can promise you that today, unequivocally, without a doubt, there's a purpose. Maybe today you just seek God and say, God, whether you reveal that purpose to me or not, I don't know, but I'm going to trust you. But I just pray that you use whatever it is that I experience. I want it to be used for your kingdom, so give me the strength that I need. And God, I pray that you open doors out here that I may be able to spread your love and maybe through my circumstance reach someone else who's going through it too. Because somebody may be going through it without Jesus and you're going through it with the best thing ever. Maybe they need to know how you're making it. Would you stand with me?